0: You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and on today's episode, Matt and I sit down and talk with Dr. Justice Hunter. Justice is an associate professor of church history at United Theological Seminary, and he runs the Firebrand Theology Seminar, previously called the Pastor's Theology Seminar, for Spirit and Truth. We sit down and we chat about the importance of theology in pastoral life and a few other really fascinating things, too, just about how the intellectual life informs our living out the Christian faith. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and we have a little bit of a different episode today. I'm going to throw it over here for an introduction. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, Matt Reynolds. And? We have a special guest with us, a Dr. Justice Hunter. Hello. Hey, Justice. Good and to see you. Good he, to see you, too. He's a friend uh, and a friend of the ministry, and he's the associate professor of church history at United Theological Seminary, and an author, and a dad, and all of the stuff. Yeah, and then, you know, choir singer. You know? <laughs> there you go.
0: I, that's one of my favorite recent developments, actually, the last time I was chatting with you and Ellen I think Ellen was the one who told me that you I said where's justice and justice oh choir practice what
1: <laughs> that's awesome yeah
2: it's, it's been a new experience and our church has quite a complex choir and uh, I'm learning a lot gratefully my Latin is pretty good so there you th- go. that's about my only skill I bring
0: nice well awesome thank you so much for being here today
1: yeah, we're um we're excited to talk to you. Uh, we have the Firebrand Theology Seminar that's coming up at the beginning of August. And how many years have you been doing this now? This is our fourth year. I think okay. 2020 was our first year. Yeah. Wow, I can't That's that's more than I actually thought. I was thinking it was 3, but yeah, it's been Yeah, it's been the, a number the, of
2: years. I think the first year was a COVID year, so it feels yeah. it feels more like 3, but but this is our fourth year. Yeah.
1: So uh, originally it was we called it the pastors theology seminar, and it really is aimed at pastors. Mm-hmm. And um, just this year, we kind of brought it under the banner of Firebrand, which is our theological magazine and kind of online journal for people to to discuss ideas. Um, would you Would you share just a little bit of why you started this. I mean, you really don't, you don't get anything out of this personally. It's in the summer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you don't get paid for this. Correct. That was
2: one. Of, I think that was my one condition. <laughs> no extrinsic goods exchanged. Yeah. You
1: were mm. very, very yeah. serious about that. Um, you know, it takes time for you to prep it, to prepare the syllabus and all of this stuff. Mm. Why someone was with, busy with the family and the professor and all of this stuff, writing, why take time to carve out and invest in pastors in this way? Yeah, so th- the
2: idea came to me, it was actually given to me by a friend who's a Methodist pastor in, in I believe, West Texas. And we went to seminary together at Asbury Theological Seminary, and we were visiting. Uh, I think he, I don't remember why he was in Dayton, Ohio, something that my school was putting on. And he said, he, he sat in on one of my classes that I was lecturing that day in medieval Christianity or something. And he, he sat through the lecture and then after it was over we were talking, we went to lunch and he said, You know, I really miss that. You know, I've been in pastoral ministry, I go to these conferences and I get practical, you know, nuts and bolts skills and abilities and training, and that's good and I need that to do my job. But I feel like this other part of my self that I spent all this time building up atrophied, you know. It's like mm-hmm. I worked all this working out, you know, built these big muscles yeah. up and now they're going flabby. And so I really wish that that someone would provide something that would allow me to keep kind of exercising those muscles. And so uh, that was really the genesis idea. Of course, the funny thing is he's never participated. <laughs> 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 he always tells me every year I'd like to do that, but yeah. uh, it, it doesn't matter. But but I think so. So we had this conversation. Uh, I went on, you know, I did a smart thing, which is I went on Twitter and I said, hey, if 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 I made a list of books, who would come to Dayton, Ohio, read them, come to Dayton, Ohio, and spend a couple of days talking about them with me. And there was kind of a lot of energy around the idea. And so I thought, all right, we'll try it. Made a list, sent it out in the fall of 2019. And in uh, the summer of 2020, we had our first seminar, which we up, I think we had to move that to online um, that year. But it just kind of keeps growing energy and steam. I think it keeps growing probably. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think there's it's scratching some itch.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's been quite a few pastors who have participated over these years, and um, and they're coming from all different parts of the country. I mean, people are flying in, yeah, uh, to spend these days with you, and and you've also brought in some other professors and colleagues to to participate. And yeah, it's yep. really has grown into to something really yeah. bigger than what I think I imagined originally.
0: Theology summer camp. Yeah. yeah,
1: it really is. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a couple of things. One is.
2: People are, people are curious about the faith, and the faith—intellectually, the faith has such depth that we can just kind of keep, you know, going mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. There's no re- intellectual rest in this life. Um, that rest will come, you know, when we receive God in the life to come. But for now, you know, we receive the gift of faith. The faith gives us this appetite to know God and become intimate with Christ and that manifests in every aspect of our being including our intellect and that's kind of i think that's why people you know i already got i already have an master of divinity which we require that in order to participate um but i still want to keep reading more and more and more and so so we're i think you just feed that and if you feed it good um good meat you know good good material then people just just like you get hungrier and hungrier the more mm-hmm. you eat, you know. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm just curious. Do you remember what each session has been on over the last few years?
2: I do. Um, so the first year we were focused on early Christian biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all been early. All been early Christianity until this year. Yeah. Um, so the first year, early Christian biblical interpretation. Uh, second year, we were l- looking at early Christian catechesis. So the, the how did Um, No, sorry, the catechumenate, Mm -hmm. which was the institution the early church developed in order to prepare people to be baptized and enter into the church. You know, church starts out. You don't have tons of Christians. You have to make them. And so the catechumenate was the early church's process. It developed over time. We did a close study of the text um, together that year and we just sort of saw, okay, so in the third century, how are people preparing people um, to leave whatever their pagan or other religion behind and become Christian? And so that was the second year. The third year, last year, we focused on Augustine of Hippo, mm. who's a theologian I, I, I like quite a lot. And then this year, we've gone contemporary, and we're working um, reading texts written by my uh, t- my doctoral teacher, um, Billy Abraham. So that kind of jumped all the way to the present. But Billy, if you know anything about his work, he's very interested in those early Christian um, traditions as well.
1: Why did you decide to... Uh to, to choose to focus on Billy. I mean, obviously, uh, if folks know of him, he, you know, he passed away in 2021, I believe, I think right? that's right. I think that's right, yeah. And, um, you know, it was a, as a big loss for the Wesleyan and Methodist world, especially, mm-hmm. but uh, the larger theological world as well. Um, was there something in particular that prompted you to, to sort of focus on his work this year? I think it was, I've,
2: so the, one of the nice things about not receiving any, um, money for doing this is that i can be as selfish as i want (laughs) and so um i do i do pull our group and try to get a pulse of what they're interested in Um, but at the end of the day i just sort of decide well what would i like to spend my july reading you know Mm -hmm. and um and talking about that that's that's a heavy that's a big rock you know heavy heavy rock in this uh yeah this scale so i was just i think it was last fall was about a about a year after billy had passed uh when i was deliberating and I just kind of wanted to go back and read through his, his body of work in kind of, in kind of one sitting, you know, which I'm doing, you know, I think I'm in the middle of a three-week period or I'm just reading Billy Abraham every day. And, um, and I just wanted – I don't know. It's probably personal reflection, you know, re- filling some, you know, some sense of loss, wanting to reattach myself to this person and then think about um, – how I continue kind of to carry the mantle, whatever. I mean, Billy had a huge mantle, so yeah. there are lots of people carrying it. But but what it means for me to think a little more um, into the future. And I think Billy's legacy is extremely important and extremely applicable to the pastoral um, world and extremely applicable to the challenges of contemporary Christianity.
1: So mm. I thought it'd be good for these people to read it, too. Awesome. Could you say something about that? I mean, uh, now you've teased us a little bit <laughs> with uh, what what is the uh, about his work that you think is so applicable to contemporary Christianity and some of the problems that we face right now?
2: Yeah. So Billy, Billy at heart is an evangelist. Um, now he's, as he put it, a very eggheaded evangelist. You know, so he's a very accomplished philosopher, theologian. You know, went to Oxford and it, and it, and in its heyday, and did a doctorate, a DPhil in uh, philosophy, and, but his driving passion was always to think about what is the gospel, and how do we bring the gospel in its depths to those who have not been reached by it yet. So, all of his work is generated by this kind of, of enduring passion. Now, he catches all this out by interest in things like divine revelation but really chiefly central his interest in what he calls the means of grace which are all the myriad gifts the spirit has poured out on the world which are means whereby god wants to transform us into the likeness of his son and so so everything for billy he often just say you know the whole world is overdetermined. There's just so much grace out there, and so many different ways that God has given grace, that you know that we just need to help people tap into all of them. And so we want the fullness of the church's tradition, its depths, um, and we, and also um, within that depth are all the resources that we need in order to make our way um, in grace towards salvation. And I just think you know, given given the challenges we face in in the world, and society, uh, that sense of the need for and desire to pull people into the depths of Christianity mm-hmm. and immerse them um, in what he'd call the whole canonical tradition, which is kind of one of his jargon words, um, but just means, you know, all this stuff, icons, you know, sacraments, um, early Christian biblical interpretation, all these texts, uh, people, um, uh, supernatural experiences, you know, all of these things. Spirit's just pouring them out, and what we need to do is just feed on them, feed on them, so that we are transformed over time. And we need to kind of bone up, I think. Mm -hmm. And and so Billy gives you a whole philosophical, theological way of framing that that then drives, and I think you probably hear some of my energy comes from him, it drives a desire to engage the tradition, to receive the tradition, and be transformed in the likeness of Christ in imitation of those who've gone before us and whose legacy we carry on forward, so... I just think that's uh you know something I wanna push. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's amazing, guy. Um I mean <laughs> the way that you just described that couldn't be any more um sort of on point yeah, for where compelling. where we are at in the church. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just always on point. I mean, I mean maybe that's that's the idea, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Certain crises Help you see with clarity
2: things that become obscure when there isn't crisis, you know. Yeah. And Billy helps us with that, I think.
0: I think one of the one of the questions I have is is w- where are our areas of of sort of vulnerability or weakness right now in that spectrum? I mean, I, I feel like if you look at at this whole spectrum of church history, which you know well, um, we sort of tend to, for various reasons cultural, sociological all kinds, lean into some things and lean away from other things. And, you know, we, you know, I'm gesturing to Matt. We spend a lot of time on the ground in churches and we do a lot of like just listening and, and in some senses like uh, diagnostically saying what's going to happen here at this church. And um, I, I often spend a lot of time thinking if I zoom out and I look at everything that we've seen, what, what is the thing that is missing right now or what are, what are we addressing most commonly? And so I'm just wondering if you have any sense of that yourself. I mean, you deal with a lot of pastors, a lot of students.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So a a couple of things, one in terms of what what are the big challenges I think Mm -hmm. you're asking, and then maybe what are the, what what do I see God doing in response to those challenges? Yeah. Um, That's how I'm going to take the question and go. Do it. it. I wasn't Um, uh, so (laughs) super clear. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. So I think, We're, we are every day engaged in a war over our attention Hmm. in our society. It is a battle for your attention from the moment you wake up in the morning. And I don't just mean, I mean, it's a battle for my attention because I usually wake up because a a three-year-old is yelling at me. (laughs) Um, But that's good. That's natural. And that's human. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a human demand for attention. That is actually an invitation of grace. Um, But social media is a demand for attention that is different. Yeah. Um, it has to do with um, mostly the exchange of capital, I think, and and it works by absorbing as much attention as possible and giving you as little in return, so that you desire to give it more of your attention, thinking it will return more, and it returns yeah. less and less and less. And I think I think social media is just a good example of so much in our society that works this way. And sports do this to you, you know. Um, and I mean, I listen to a. Braves podcast every single day pretty much and uh, and I know if I listen to two of them I've done you know that's I'm less happy than I was if I just listened to the one so but I, I think everything <laughs> works this way in our society especially and I think people have gotten really smart at figuring out how to um, take your attention and then absorb your money as a result of it mostly is what they're after um, and that to me is the most threatening thing uh, thing I see our students for instance struggling with Mm. um it's very hard for people to sit down and find quiet um just for prayer most importantly for prayer to to cultivate silence I have this app it's it it has a holy hour um feature Mm -hmm. and I, I remember opening it and I thought holy cow who can sit for an hour uh for a holy hour are you kidding me you know um it's not a preposterous idea, it's actually you know an old one or and my students i see they they struggle with this it's hard for them to sit down and be silent and then define that mode then to have a deep engagement with another person mm-hmm. um, through a text or you know through through um through just dinner together with your family. so I think that's really the the huge we have to just be aware that that's always um. Going on around us in our society, yeah.
0: and just to clarify, when you say text, you mean a book? A book? No, yes, yeah, right. well, not, yeah no, it's right. no, no, not a text message. No, yeah. that's right,
2: right. With with a with a book, yeah, mm-hmm. with 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 a, an artifact produced by a human um, involving words. Yeah, um, you told me I could be geeky, so
0: yes, I no, I knew what you meant. I just wanted to make yeah. sure. <laughs> so,
2: I think that's a huge challenge, and it's a huge challenge to pastoral ministry because, um, or any type of ministry, because distraction. Is an instrument of you know Satan, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the opposition. You know, so I think being distracted is the ideal place to put a pastor, if you want to slowly uh, increase their um, gravity of sin in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and also distraction makes it easier to hide parts of yourself Mm -hmm. if you're distracted to Mm -hmm. withhold yourself I mean I see this in my myself with my kids um if I'm too tired to kind of be present to them it's easier just to pull my phone out and be distracted uh and then before I know it like I've what I've done is I've grabbed and clenched at a little bit of myself to hold that back from someone else yeah it's the same principle the the more you grab and clench the less you have at the end of the day so Mm -hmm. sorry this watch and table are not cooperating so I think that's a that's a huge obstacle, and it, and it and it invades all of our spaces and in this world. So, um, what's the solution? Now, that's that's a good question. I think that you, I like to use language of war and opposition because yeah. it is a battle. I think you have to be aware of this, you know, and um, and therefore take steps to, you know, be strong, you know, um, know how to lock arms with others, um, and I think the key is you have to be willing to do weird stuff mm-hmm. probably is what i would say so so i was at um church last sunday and the, the pastor was saying you know one thing um one thing we've lost is a willingness to mortify our flesh yeah said mortification is one big, big it's not a common word we don't talk about it very much you know but the 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 killing of the flesh you know and he and said you know So for example, you know, I, and also we also, we also have lost this sense that when we mortify our flesh, we are, we are overcoming sin in our life, but also defeating sin in others' lives, you know, for the sake of others, it's sacrificial. And we see this all the time, right? When we overcome, when I mortify my flesh and put my phone away, um, I prevent sins that I would commit against my children. Uh, by being present to them and by developing those relationships rather than being absent to them, mm. which we know how that spins out is bad. So, so he's talking about this and he said, you know, what about, what if you took a cold shower every Tuesday and spent the time, you know, praying uh, that this might be an act of, you know, sacrifice for your family, you know, and just pray for your wife and children. Um, and so that's kind of weird, you know, just take a cold shower, you know, like, um, now I do remember my youth pastor telling me to do that at one point for another reason but 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 I think you need to you know disrupt that constant thirst after distraction and comfort mm-hmm. and ease and the avoidance of pain suffering um and sacrifice for the sake of others uh I think that's that's kind of the antidote mm-hmm. um my students don't love that I'm Happy to make them unhappy. <laughs> you know, I, I, but they usually thank me at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I actually, I love this because, well, what you're describing, the cold shower, it is reminiscent of Irish monks who stood out in the sea and for yeah. hours and recited all of the Psalms. Right. By memory. Right. You know, and the, the Irish Sea is cold. Yeah. um, And when you consider that these were not people who were already living comfortable lives. Right. And then if you transplant this, this idea, this concept of mortifying our flesh into our, our very comfortable environment, it's interesting what, you, what I become very aware of is more comfort doesn't make it easier to sacrifice. More comfort makes it harder.
2: Correct. Absolutely right We're and, just talking about Taking a cold shower Right exactly On Tuesdays
0: Yes And you know I can already tell you Right now That I would hate that idea
2: I also hate the idea <laughs> my, my sons love it though Because it's hilarious When they're sitting outside The bathroom Listening to me Take a cold shower <laughs> As they were yesterday <laughs> Or but, two days ago
0: But this is the thing It is so important To just control Your impulses hmm
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have a fifteen and eleven year old boys and a five and th- three year old girls. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah extremely important to control your urges.
0: The um, it's funny. I have eight and well, I have a almost twenty three year old. Well, that's real weird to say. An eighteen year old and an almost thirteen year old, and they're all boys and. They all want to make things Mm -hmm. and making things is hard. There's resistance to having nothing. And then there being something you have to go through steps. You have to conceive of an idea. You have to, you know, whether it's Legos or, you know, playing with tools in the garage and, you know, whatever, but they all have this impulse. This is a very good human impulse. It's a godly impulse, but the resistance is not something that they like. And it is absolutely devastating for them to confront sometimes. Yeah. And one of the things that I have realized as a parent is that if I don't model for them right. the overcoming of this this hurdle, right? Whether it's making dinner, whether it is uh, doing something like, uh, you know, like something as simple as like. Um, knitting or or just saying oh you're gonna do that let me help you build that Lego thing look I'm a mom I (laughs) don't want to play with Legos I am just like every other parent on the planet when my kids are interested in something and they start talking to me about it I kind of glaze over and go somewhere (laughs) else in my head like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." but if I don't do that then they won't understand what it feels like to overcome that like that I don't know how to do something. I don't know how to make this happen. That's actually part of the process. That's okay.
2: Yeah, Yep. that's right. Yeah, and you see, you, you every time you muster the courage to do that, you demonstrate to your children the proper way to live in this world. I yeah, think. and also the probably not the total key, but but a key part to their um, finding, not, not. Cheesy happiness, but satisfaction,
0: contentment, yeah, and
2: and receiving those things which are actually worth investing in and receiving, like like a like a healthy marriage, yeah, like the blessing of children, yeah, that's right.
0: I would say bringing it back to pastors, you know, we we meet a lot of pastors who struggle with busyness, which I I think is an, a cousin or a fruit of distraction, yeah, absolutely, and um, and I love it that. I've always loved the theology seminar as a project. I've just thought this is great. Yes, take isolated time out of your schedule. Read books, which I know for a fact that I'm sure that there are people in every single one of the congregations of the people who come who are like, why are you doing that? Well, your pastor, he or she is doing that so you understand this is a valuable thing. It's valuable and edifying for them, but also so that you understand this should be part of your spiritual life.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's like I don't like to put money into my Roth IRA. You know, (laughs) I'd rather go on vacation or something, you know, Um, but I know that it's something I really need to do if rather than having these sort of temporary experiences, I want to have um, to offer something more lasting to my family, uh, to my children, you know, um, Mm -hmm. being they're not not reliant on them in my in retirement, my ability to retire with you know someday or at least adjust my you know my work life at that point. So I don't you know I don't like to put money in my Roth IRA. Um, when I put it in the Roth IRA and I look at it every couple of weeks, it's really not very impressive what's happening there, you know. Um, but I know that that will look much different if I just keep putting it in slowly over time so that when when I need, it to be there it will be there Mm -hmm. um, and I will really really need it then and I think that's the same thing that we're trying to do with the pastors or the fire rant theology seminar is to say hey look just dip a little time into this Mm -hmm. project Mm -hmm. of reading um, wisdom from the past just put invest a little time it's I mean it is some time the book list is about usually about 15 books a year um, and and you know, we kind of set a high bar, you know, are you willing to buy and read or, you know, mm-hmm. we provide some of these materials um, and spend the time to read through all yeah. this over the course of the year and then come. Um, that's an investment, but that's kind of the idea, you know, just like, okay, here's a little, here's a little reward. You know, it's like getting your dividends or something, you know, yeah. get to come hang out and talk. But over time, what the pastors tell us is, you know, I have been struggling in ministry and, you know, reading um Gregory, the Great, his pastoral rule has completely reoriented how I'm thinking about pastoral ministry at a time when I, c- you know, could easily see myself quitting. For instance, you know, you mm. just don't know how it's going to shake out, you know. But you know that the good stuff is in this material if you'll yeah. just engage it.
1: Could you talk even just a little bit more about um, the importance of theology in the life of practical ministry and its It's kind of a popular thing uh, in recent decades for kind of a bifurcation between the theological world and the practical ministry world, and the scholars can do this stuff over here, and
0: but real life people who have
1: real life lives, we'll do the you know we'll get down to the real business over here with the practical stuff, Mm. Um, and a fundamental to our ministry at Spirit and Truth is kind of a disagreement with that popular yeah. notion you know we like think the two things al- always go together but could you talk about that a little bit more because I feel like that's kind of it's one of the things at the heart of this project yeah that's right the, so when I
2: teach intro to theology at that, which I teach every um, spring one of the main ideas I try to communicate to the students is this um, if you think theology is about control over ideas you will not be doing Christian theology. You will be doing idolatrous theology. That is to say, and I think this is actually a very common thing when people, and people rightly rebel against this kind of idolatrous disordered mode of theologizing, which is very prominent among us, which is, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to consume, know, and then wield all the great ideas, um, over you people that don't have them. Mm. Does that make sense? And, um, I think so I'm I'm as opposed to that mode of theologizing as, as as anyone. Um theology though, at its essence is what I would describe as a contemplative exercise. That is, um you know, you're contemplating something. Just like I, I kind of like uh analog watches. Um I find them yes, Maggie's got an analogue watch. Um I, I do I guess this is analog, but it's actually battery-powered. But, uh, you know, you contemplate it. I have some watches with all these really interesting, you know, mechanisms inside them, which I don't comprehend, but I would like to, and, and I sometimes look at them, and I watch the, you know, the gears turn, and I just con- you just sort of, wow,
0: this, mm.
2: what a thing, you know, that someone does. How does that work? It invites you, right? When you contemplate something, when you marvel, wonder at something, it invites you in then to come and learn and reorient your understanding around this new, new information that you have. And I think that's kind of the key mode of theology that we, that we, that we key mode in which we should do theology and posture ourselves in the task of theology, um, uh, contemplative. I think I said earlier, the gift of faith comes with a, a desire to transform all of yourself into, into Christ. Christ likeness. And in the intellectual domain, that means the gift of faith gives you a desire for understanding, a pursuit and hunger and thirst for understanding. And that means that what we do can never be about control, because this is all all the language I'm using here is receptive. Mm -hmm. It is a posture of reception of faith, and then the faith itself draws you to receive more understanding, Mm -hmm. um, contemplating what has been shown to us. This is fundamental because you won't make any sense of the way mystery works in Christian theology for instance if you don't have this fundamental posture because the fundamental mysteries of the faith like the Trinity like the mystery of Christ's um, personhood um, they exceed our rational grasp they are given and revealed to us by God Christ comes and shows us and teaches us um, but as I say to my students these are not things that if you had a whole world only populated by aristotle living in perfect peace and harmony for a million years would never come up with these ideas that yeah. there are three persons in one god uh, and that one of those persons could assume a human nature mm. um, and and then unite uh, that nat- unite with us through that nature and our participation and thereby transmit divine life to us you'd never come up with that idea i mean you don't see it anywhere else. So, I think that that you're always going to be in that kind of receptive mode, it all hinges on revelation and it, and it's not something you'll ever grasp if you think you do, you're wrong. So, if let's get to the practical thing. I'm, I'm rambling a bit. If that's your mode and posture in theology, what you're doing there intellectually is posturing your mind in the same manner that all of your being has to be postured in order to live the Christian life. Um, that is, you know, my my emotions, my heart, my body, uh, same mode of pure receptivity to grace and desire to find Christ in all things. Um, and that to me is the bedrock of practi- every good practical Christian, you know, decision. Mm. When you talk about Working with pastors and helping them, it sounds like what you you all are doing is helping them develop a sensitivity to the spirit Mm -hmm. so that they follow, they are able to hear, receive, and then act on the basis of that. And that's really important, again, going back to the idea of distraction, because especially, and I think in the church world, it's full of distractions and demands that also want your capital, um, which is your time and your resources. And how, I talk to pastors about this all the time, how do you decide which things are worth investing in? Well, you've got to have a posture of not control, not my agenda, but receptivity and sensitivity to the spirit and willingness and boldness and character and virtue to actually walk that out, whatever the cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's all integrated, probably, it sounds like. Um, but it's not easy in the way that it's hard to package and condense into like, a you know, three lecture weekend seminar yeah. thing, you know.
1: You know, this is, this is not a question, but I just want to just say this, hopefully, as a word of affirmation. One of the, the things that I love about you, Justice, and one of the reasons that I admire you as a scholar is the integration of your life. Because what you're describing and what I've experienced from you personally uh, in my, you know, just time with doctoral studies and just being around you, and this isn't true for all scholars, is that this is not just an intellectual exercise for you. You're an actual Christian Mm -hmm. whose very life in Christ drives your theological pursuits. And um, I think that's kind of rare, actually, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that. Thanks, Matt. That's very kind.
2: Maggie's watching us have a moment.
0: I well, I'm actually a little bit emotional, (laughs) just because I have the pleasure of knowing your family, and I know that this is true. This is absolutely true.
2: Well, I I pull, I pull, I just try to pull hard to keep up with Ellen most of the time on this (laughs) stuff, um, which is really true. I mean, having someone else to kind of because you don't, we all have flesh. You know, yeah. and we all have to battle it, and we all have we all have our weaknesses. Um, Francis de talks about this. You know, if you read, um, which is a great book. This, if I were going to recommend one book to someone right now, it would be um, you got to read Francis de What's it called, Maggie? The um,
0: oh gosh.
2: Introduction to the Devout Life.
0: Oh, there that's you go. The okay, yeah, I one. was like, I don't know. Um, I actually haven't read any details <laughs>
2: Sorry, I assumed. Uh, so, so we should put that in the show notes. Okay, people so can get it. I think it's. I think it's Introduction. I think that's the title. it's Something about the Devout Life. I think it's Introduction to the Devout Life. It's in multiple parts. The first part, though, is all about a really gritty, intense um, self-examination, especially as to sin in your life. Hmm. Um, and just going all the way down to the bottom of your soul and examining that and then bringing it to light before God and offering it and receive it, and then receiving the grace of forgiveness um, from it. But then after, and there's one chap book in there, this is in part one. Is that, is that the right yeah, title? That okay. it, um, yes, that's
0: what it's called.
2: There's one book in there where after the soul, like all these, all the, all the layers of the onion are kind of peeled away, you know, and you're in the depths of, of sinfulness, um, that is this just this act of contrition you Mm -hmm. know Um, and by contrition we mean post you know the personal position posturing the placing yourself in the place you ought that is right and true about you in your sinfulness makes sense speaking the truth about yourself in your fallenness and so you know there's this incredibly difficult i mean i've i've Read this book. The section a couple of times, and every time I'm like, I'm still not deep enough into this contrition yet. Every yeah. time I can go, I get further and further. Um, but afterwards, then he he goes on to talk about, okay, you know, you've kind of you've kind of sh- you know struck a blow to mortal sin, as he'd put it. You know, now let's talk about venial sin. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or l- lighter sins. You know, and help you see how those smaller sins are potentially, um, openings to graver and graver sins. And then finally, you know, okay, now let's talk about your char- just your character, just your disposition and your personal weaknesses and things. And actually he has, shows a lot of confidence that you can offer those to God. And over time, God can transform those weaknesses also. Um, now, gosh, that, that was a weird launching point. Um, I, all that to say, I, I, am still kind of trying to get to that contrition point. You know what I mean? Um, I, my weaknesses sure, surely are not overcome. And, and there are many venial sins that I, I don't take seriously enough, you know. Um, but by grace, I know they'll be gone eventually, mm-hmm. right? And um, and by grace, you know, I have people to call me to account when I get ca- casual about these matters, you know. Um, having a spouse that can, that can and will do that in love for you is a great gift. Um, also a very difficult gift sometimes, but I mean, it, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to receive those words. Um, I have one of those too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: so do I, he's not here right now.
2: Oh <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Yeah. You two are both very, very blessed.
1: Okay. I have a, this is kind of a shifting gears, just a touch maybe, but I, this was a question that popped in my mind earlier when I was thinking about this interview and there may not be a good answer to it. So I'll just, That's my caveat going in. You're a historian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you have a great feel for the landscape of Christian history. Given what you discussed already and kind of what your sense of where our cultural moment, is there a particular location slash era that you feel like is most similar Mm -hmm. to our current moment in the church? Uh, I would, let's say in Western Christianity.
2: Yes and That's no. That's an interesting question. Yes and no, yeah. I think yes and no. Um, so similarities. One is, you know, ancient Christianity makes a lot of sense for us, especially kind of ancient Western Christianity, uh, Greek and Latin traditions, because um, because of the legacy of Rome is so similar to what our cultural legacy is becoming like in these ways, um, one um, kind of, Radical marketplace of ideas that Rome was, you know, Rome's Rome's genius was, you know We'll just absorb you but give you a ton of autonomy and freedom mm-hmm. as long as you just let us like attach Attach this little this little mechanism that's gonna make your life better anyway to it And what that means is you had this empire which united all of these people with all their distinct heritages including their religious heritages So um, polytheism's is great for this, you know, it's like sure keep your gods We'll just add them to the list and uh, just as long as you'll keep, you know, this one in we well, put this, this this one extra one in there well, he was attached to the emperor in a certain way, um, then, okay. then we're good. And I think increasingly, you know, America's got a ton of gods at this point. Yeah. It seems to me. Um, it's sort of now it's it's different mm-hmm. because our gods come in the aftermath of the decline of Christianity mm-hmm. and they these gods it seemed to me I'm using little g gods okay um, many of them are probably demons um, but they, they are they're not grounded in things like my people and my family's heritage over a long period of time right. um, and identity um, they are what crops up when you've ripped tradition out of an entire place and given it sort of a, a no no heritage you know um, And so what are they? they just the potentially infinite projections of human desire um, outside of us that we will just run after and run after and try to absorb and satisfy and never will satisfy us. So I think in that way you know so so what does that mean? I think that early Christianity makes sense because early Christians were, interested in how do you take people out of this kind of polytheistic marketplace of ideas and bring them into faith in this God. And they had a very clear sense that that meant, um, a a little touch of this Christian stuff is not sufficient. When we looked at the catechumenate, you know, it could be a two or three year process involving serious, um, penance, you know, repentance, prayer, learning the faith the basics of the faith um, and then also you know um, a series of exorcisms Mm -hmm. and um, rejection of the gods that you're casting off and a clear understanding of what it was going to cost you so I think that's why a lot of people look at early Christianity that way so I think it's similar in that way I think it's distinct in the other way and that it's we really do live in the aftermath of the decline of Christianity as sort of a, a key piece of our society and as a result there it's much easier there's there's no curiosity of the new for us yeah. does that make sense yeah in Rome you know like let me tell you about this new God and I'm like oh okay interesting tell me about this new God what he walked around you know he died on a cross what are you talking about there, there's we can't we can't generate that instead I think we, we have to become Christ's ourselves and say come be with me and see the life I'm living um and what it looks like here and it's going to be that will be attractive probably. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I'm not big on the kind of yeah. <laughs> you you yeah. know me. Matt Matt was my student, and always like yeah. oh yeah, this is getting too simple. We got to you know make right. it more yeah. complicated. It's not the same. Every challenge is new. Um, God is powerful and will be with us yeah. and will renew and and invigorate the church and give us the gifts we need mm-hmm. for the present. And I think God is doing that. We see it in many places. Um, but yeah. nothing's new under the sun. But there are variations in the in the uh configuration the other piece actually uh, the one other piece i was gonna say about early christianity is rome was decadent and we live in a decadent society Mm -hmm. um we live in a society where once great institutions have deteriorated and we live we are a people who lack virtue and um and and who share and spread our vice um to one another and that's exactly what late roman empire you know that was the exact problem it was just this kind of decadent decline and disintegration of a coherent concept of a people um now the church is that but the church has got to be that
1: yeah
0: one of the um justice knows this i would i was a homeschooling mom for a number of years and so and I think I've probably said this, but the the medieval period of history uh, is one of my favorites. And one of the, uh, the a- late ancient into medieval, just I could read those things all the time. But one of the things that I just was so fascinating to study with my kids was um, this late Roman Empire period of time. And then also the interesting sort of um, related, but not entirely related, but the the period of time where the christianization of say for instance uh nordic tribes like vikings and things like this and it's fascinating because they were so violent Mm -hmm. they were so almost inhuman and cruel in their approach to outside um Outsiders and the and the people that they were conquering, and yet they became Christians.
2: Yeah, they, they were converted. Yeah. through those whom they well, it, you know, the history is all messy. And, yeah, you know, it's it's all very particular, different places there. But but yeah, I mean, talk about terrifying when when. When, um, if, if you seen the show, the Vikings or what it is, I no, watched a little I bit of it. No, I can't watch
0: that. No. Um,
2: I watched a little bit of it because I'm interested in the history Yeah. and, uh, but you know, if you've seen, if you've seen, I'm not, not pitching the, the show necessarily. My mom loves it. Um, but you know, you see them, you see them, you know, riding in toward Paris, you know, mm-hmm. and what a horrifying prospect, um, for the Christians living there. And, but then, you know, over time, um, Everything's Christianized somehow. Uh, and I think that what's really, what's really fascinating about what happened in that period of history from the church's perspective is conversion was um, not easy. Conversion was very difficult, but it, but it was accomplished. That is to say, all these peoples became Christians. Mm-hmm. And one thing we, we saw when we studied the history of the catechumen is it dies in the sixth century. Well, why does it die? Well, because you don't need to convert anyone to the Christian faith. They are born into it, everyone in the whole society. So you don't need these long processes of a preparation to receive baptism because you're an adult convert. There are no more adult converts. Everyone is living in this Christian world. Uh, But the question is, you know, so everyone is a Christian in some sense. But the big question the middle ages is is trying the church is dealing with is okay now they are christian in name Mm -hmm. and in sacrament i mean they receive baptism so god has marked them um for his church but now what does it mean to be a christian is what the church really is wrangling to try to instruct these all these people all over the place well you know with total chaos and you know i i love that stuff that stuff's fascinating but it's also um uh, and it's also quite, I find it actually quite hopeful mm-hmm. because the challenge there was so substantial uh, um, organizationally um, and j- just in terms of intense poverty, hunger, death, you know, mortality.
0: Theologically, the things yeah. that people were on. Right. <laughs> but anyway, I just sort of, the, your that question, Matt, caused me to think about that because I think it's very actually hopeful too.
2: Yeah, but, learning these stories is really helpful because it's like Israel go back and remember you know Mm -hmm. go back and remember yeah Yeah. well you know go back and see what God's done in the past yeah
1: yeah I no matter how many different ways myriad of ways that we try to screw it up in the end yeah God still finds finds the way you know like he he redeems all things he's provident I mean yeah yeah Yeah. well justice this has been just a delightful tremendous (laughs) conversation I really enjoyed it Um, as we as we uh, wrap up for today uh, you you mentioned one book that you recommended to folks if you could just leave kind of a parting word with whether it's pastors or just uh, you know lay folks that are kind of in the trenches trying to to work in their local churches what's just one word that you would leave with them to encourage them um
2: I think I'll go back to what I was talking about Billy Abraham earlier. Um, God has poured grace out everywhere in the world. Um, It is waiting for you to find and discover and, you know, receive it where you find it. Pursue it where you find it. Um, Love the scriptures. um, Love the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. um devote yourself to those things mm-hmm. and then seek the spirit's guidance into even deeper and deeper and deeper waters Both you'll never gonna leave those two things behind right but um b- but what else waits for you
0: yeah amen. amen well that has been our podcast for today friends thank you so much for listening and um If you haven't had a chance to explore uh, the Firebrand website where you can find information on the Theology Seminar, although registration is closed for this year, and there will be another one, presumably. And um, so... uh, As long as Ellen
2: says we can do it.
0: Amen. And really, no one wants to get on ellen's less favorable side so um and i say that with love and respect so uh friends keep an eye out for that because we'll have information about that for next year and you can register and sign up and you just go to firebrandmag.com and for more information about spirit and truth go to spiritandtruth.life thank you so much for listening and we'll come back to you in the next conversation